Almighty God, we come to you and before your throne this first Sunday in Lent, and we ask that you would, Lord, give us all the gifts that you have promised us in your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, to wage war against the enemy that is set against you, particularly this Sunday as we look to, the, to temptation. Father, would you give us everything we need to face it confidently and victoriously? And so we commend ourselves to your love and care this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is an unavoidable reality of the Christian life. St. Paul's final admonition here to the Ephesian church certainly highlights this reality. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, enemy-occupied territory. That is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. In our gospel lesson this morning from Mark chapter 1, we see Satan's final or Satan's uh, initial counter-assault against King Jesus just after his baptism in the Jordan River. And here our ancient foe reveals his most trusted weapon employed in his battle against God's image. Temptation. Temptation to sin. As we confess, temptation to do the things we know we shouldn't do. And also temptation not to do the things we know that we should do. Of course, Satan mobilized temptation to great effect in the Garden of Eden. When the first Adam succumbed to the enemy's enticements. Adam's rebellion drew humanity away from God and pressed us into service for the enemy's kingdom, enslaved now through temptation to the power of darkness and evil. The first Adam did something to us. He brought sin, death, and condemnation and triggered a chain of events that led to the eventual ruin or brought humanity, the human family, to ruin and ruin to the world. However, praise be to God, on the hills of his baptism, Jesus, the second Adam, overthrows Satan's power by refusing to yield to temptation, remaining loyal and faithful to his Father, to God the Father. The second Adam, Jesus, has now done something for us. Jesus, in the wilderness, reverses what the first Adam did, bringing now life righteousness, and justification to us, and setting in motion a new chain of events that will eventually bring redemption to humanity and to the whole world through his death, resurrection, and ascension. Where the first Adam yielded to temptation, Jesus, the second Adam, overcame temptation. Yet Christ did not overcome temptation for himself only. Christ did not overcome temptation for himself only, but also for you and also for me. That's the good news of our gospel lesson this morning. 
Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh in Mary's virginal womb, becoming one of us and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, overcome temptation. Because we were born of the first Adam, we cannot overcome temptation in ourselves or by our own power. Like Adam, we face temptation and yield to it. But because of Jesus and because he became one of us and was fully human in every way, we can share in his dismantling of temptation. And we can share in his conquering of the evil one when we are born again by water and the Spirit of God. And so our scripture lessons this morning give us three gifts from God essential to overcoming temptation in our lives. We're given a new identity. We're given freedom from sin, and we're given power over sin. So look there first with me as God gives us a new identity. And you can find this in Mark chapter 1, our gospel lesson, beginning in verse 9. Where Mark says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. I find delight in you. If you are a baptized follower of Jesus, if you are a baptized follower of Jesus, this is your new identity. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a child of God, and he is delighted with you. This is your identity. This is who you really are. This is the most truest thing. And I know that's not grammatically correct. If those English people out there that are like checking me off every time I say something, this is the most truest thing, the most real thing, the most fundamental thing about you and about who you are. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a child of God. It's more true of you than your sin. And you might be thinking, how is this possible? Isn't God saying this to Jesus? Exactly. Exactly. He's saying it to Jesus. He's saying it to Jesus at his baptism. This new identity is yours because Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And the Messiah throughout Scripture is the one who represents his people to God. He is Christ, the head of God. Of the body. What is true of him is true of you. The word Christ or Messiah here means anointed one, and Mark tells us that Jesus was anointed in his baptism with the Holy Spirit and publicly marked out as God's Son. This is my Son. He delights me. And when you're baptized, God anoints you with his Spirit and he publicly marks you out. As my son, my daughter, I now delight in you. Praise God. 
In his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter teaches us that through baptism we receive the gift and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And through baptism and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into union with Jesus. So we are, we are so thoroughly united to Jesus that what is true of him is true of us. Therefore, in Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 14 and 15, Paul can say confidently to the church at Rome, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. You, dear Christ Church, each one of you, are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You have this new identity in Christ through baptism and by the Spirit. This is who you are. It's so much more true of you than your sin. It's more true of you than evil, than the sin and the evil that you are tempted by. Your temptations do not define who you are at the core of who you are. God does. And even when you give in to those temptations, that sin does not define who you are at the core of who you are. You are God's child. He delights in you. And guess what? It's not about because of you. Or else God would not delight in us. It's because of his son, Jesus. You may have had a parent who never spoke words like this over you. And as a result, it could be difficult to receive and accept this truth that you are a beloved child of God in whom he finds delight. The beauty is you don't have to earn that designation. So often when our fathers, and this is my experience, when our mothers and fathers withhold those kind of words from us, it's because they often only come when we achieve something, when we earn something. But you can't earn God's favor. It's only given to you through his son, Jesus Christ. This new identity you have as a beloved son of God in whom he finds delight is only because of Jesus, because you've been united to Jesus in baptism by faith and through repentance. Our gospel lesson this morning challenges us to learn and to hear these words addressed to you and to me. You are my beloved child. I am pleased and delighted with you. So by the power of the Spirit, let God's word of adoption over you change you, mold you, make you somebody new, the person God has already declared you to be at your baptism. His child. During this season of Lent, meditate on this reality. Because we need to take this reality with us, the firm conviction and knowledge of it, into the wilderness with us, like Jesus does. Meditate on this reality, and you will be equipped, as Jesus was, to face the enemy and to resist temptation. Knowing that you are loved by God. Now, along with this gift of a new identity come two additional gifts needed in our fight against temptation. We see the second one, not in our lessons this morning, because I couldn't not, not include this one. 
So listen with me as I read from Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5. For if we have been united with him, that's what Jesus is talking about baptism. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This is the second gift. Freedom from sin. Paul continues in verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that, he will also, that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So no longer slave to sin, death no longer has dominion over him. We are free because we are united to him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, free from sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, if in Christ, through baptism and by the Spirit, we are made sons and daughters of God, admitted into the kingdom of God, then we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer citizens of the domain of darkness. We have been transferred, as Paul tells the church at Colossae, from that dominion to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And if that's true of us, then we are free. Temptation no longer has control over our lives. Why? Because Christ has overcome that temptation already. We see that in the wilderness in his interaction with Satan. His victory is now our victory. We are now free from sin and its temptation. We are free to resist it. doesn't mean we're free from being tempted, but we're free from temptation. It no longer has to have a controlling factor in our lives. We are free to resist it, as Paul declares to the Galatian church in chapter 5, verse 1 of that letter. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what does this look like, then, to live in this freedom and stand firm in it? Well, back to chapter 6 of Romans, verses 12 and 15. I love Paul here. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. You're free, but then that freedom calls you to action. Don't let it reign anymore in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, all of you, your body, your mind, your soul, your emotions, every part of you to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. Thanks be to God. Do not present yourself to sin as its plaything, as its pet, as its slave. Rather, present yourself to God as an instrument for righteousness, a slave of righteousness. 
Elsewhere, Paul uses the language of putting off the old person, the old identity, who you were in the first Adam, and putting on the the new person, the new identity, who you are in the second Adam, in Jesus Christ. This is the same dynamic here. Don't give your body over to sin because it has no more dominion over you. Present yourself to God. Put off the old, put on the new. At its foundation, this is the work of repentance. Metanoia means a turning away, a turning of the mind, a changing of mind. It's, it's, a, it's in its fullest sense in Scripture. It's a turning away of mind, body, and soul from sin and turning to God. That's the work of putting off and putting on. It's that constant work of turning away. Why? Because we're a son and daughter of the king. And so we want to move towards our father, live life in line with our father by the grace that he so freely gives to us. So during Lent this year, do not neglect this work of living into and out of the freedom that is yours in Christ, which you have received through the waters of baptism and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. Stand firm against temptation. Don't give yourself over to it as a slave to sin. Put off the old you. Put on the new you in Christ, giving yourself over to God as a slave of righteousness. Again, as Paul said, this is not a matter of the law, of feeling some kind of need to prove ourselves to God, to earn his favor. This is all born out of grace that God freely gives us. This is what it means to repent in its fullness. Repentance is the embodiment of our freedom. We can turn away from it. We're free to do that. We have the power to do that. Continual repentance is the practice of Christian freedom, and it enables us to receive and metabolize the grace of God in our life. And this leads lastly to the last gift that God gives us here, and that's power over sin. So we've been given a new identity. We've been given freedom from sin, freedom from temptation, from its power over us. And then finally here, we've been given power over sin, power over temptation. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3. I know this is the passage you were hoping for us to focus all our time on, and maybe one, one day we will. Peter says to, uh, he's writing this to a church that is suffering an official program of, of persecution against them, of, of social injustice by the governing authorities. And he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went, and this is the odd part for many of us, one of, one of the odd parts, which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, the waters of the flood, now saves you. That's the other part that makes us uncomfortable. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Not based upon our own performance, it says, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. This can be an unsettling passage for us, but it doesn't need to be. The point that Peter is making is that after his suffering, Jesus announced God's victory over all authorities. To the spirits in prison who contested the rule of God, he is announcing the victory of God over all 
authorities, particularly ones in heavenly places, those spiritual authorities that are often standing behind and are embodied by human authorities who stand against God on earth. And Peter's point here is that these authorities have received notice from Jesus that he has overthrown their power by his resurrection from the dead, which is the very power that saves us because through baptism we have been united to Jesus. Jesus is now king over all the world through his ascension. These shadowy authorities included. This is why Peter here refers to the ascension in verse 22 and claims all angels, all authorities, and all powers in this world, in heaven and on earth, have been subjected to Jesus. They've been put under his feet. Now remember, because we've been united to Jesus through baptism, by the Holy Spirit, what is true of Jesus is true of us. Okay, That's a fundamental structure of our life as Christians. What's true of Jesus is true of us. Therefore, if these dark and shadowy authorities and powers have been subjected to Jesus, they have then been subjected to you. They are subject to you. As a son and daughter of God, united with Jesus, and dwelt by the Spirit of God, we share not only in Jesus' resurrection victory over them, but we also share in his ongoing power over them as he sits at the right hand of God. As a result, we have divine power over the temptation that confronts us each day. Each day. We not only have, not only has the power of temptation and sin been broken in our lives, we are free, that's that second point, but we also have received a share in the power of Jesus over temptation and sin. This means that prayer is all the more essential for us. You see, prayer in the name of Jesus is the means by which we draw, we draw down on the resurrection power that he possesses for the sake of his people, for the sake of his kingdom and his rule. By prayer, we draw down on the power of God that he has over the forces of darkness and evil, sin and temptation included. So we can face temptation now with confidence. We do not have to cower in its presence. We do not have to sulk away in defeat. You are a son of God, a daughter of God. You are free. You have power over temptation. And this confidence, of course, is not born out of some self-centered arrogance and pride of what we can do, that we have confidence built in ourselves. No, this confidence is not rooted internally. It's rooted externally in Jesus, in his resurrection victory, and in his universal reign as king. So this Lent, begin to practice prayer in the face of your temptation. Exercise your power over the forces of darkness and evil embodied in sin and temptation that confront you each day. Appealing to God in the name of Jesus for power. So that when you are confronted by temptation in whatever form, in that very moment, you can draw down on the power of God that is yours in Jesus, asking him to give you the necessary means of endurance and escape in the face of temptation. And then act out of that confidence and power that is rooted in and comes from Jesus alone. Turn away from it. Don't give yourself over to it. 
It requires you to act. It requires you to respond. It requires us to use the power, use the freedom that God has so freely given us by his mercy and grace in Jesus. And with these gifts, a new identity, freedom from sin, and power over sin, we can engage in the daily struggle of spiritual warfare, the daily spiritual battles that will inevitably confront us, living into the victory that is already ours over temptation, the victory that is already ours over sin, as we look forward this year to the great vigil of Easter. Amen. Lent is not all doom and gloom. We repent and move about this season because we see the light coming. We see the resurrection of Christ coming that gives us such freedom and power that makes us a part of God's family. Praise be to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.